There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Live sport, the latest headlines, and top debate. This is The Grill. Live from Kicker's Sports Bar. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Good afternoon, one and all. Welcome along to The Grill. We are live from Kicker Sports Bar at Dubai Sports City, where we will be between now and six o'clock. A busy show ahead as well. We've got rugby championship news to bring you. South Africa, a new hero is born in South Africa. What a day it's been for them in their match against New Zealand. We'll look back on that. Australia-Argentina, it is ongoing over in Brisbane. Updates throughout. It is stage 20, the penultimate day of the 2019 Tour de France. We'll keep you bang up to date with that. Destination Hockenheim for the German Grand Prix. Round 11 of this 2019 F1 season. We'll keep you bang up to date with qualifying as we go. There's the WGC Bridgestone Invitational over in Memphis. We'll give you updates as we go as well. Round 3 We'll get underway a little later today. We'll look back on England-Ireland, a massive match-up that, a first of its kind as well. Over at Lord, we'll look back on that. We're asking today as well, should drug cheats be given a second chance in sport? There's good reason for that because, of course, boxing once again, well, it's got its own little drug issue to contend with. Arsenal, breaking news in the past hour, set to smash their transfer record to the tune of 80 million euros. All the details on the way between now and six o'clock. As always, get in touch with us, 4001. You're listening to The Grill, live from Kicker Sports Bar. You're listening to The Grill. Join the conversation. Text 4001 or message us for free on the Dubai Eye 103.8 app. Yeah, join that conversation. 4001 is how you can do that. You can also pick up the phone if you so desire. 04871 5500. Myself, Chris McCarty, still standing in, sitting in for Tom Ucker. He is off on his summer vacation. He will be back mid-August. And today, I've, well, I've called up the big boys starting with former Deputy Sports Editor of the Mail Online. He was with us last week. He's back for another week. It is the one and only Matthew Fortune. Good afternoon, Matthew. Good afternoon, Chris. Thanks for having me back. A big day in the world of cycling. A big day yesterday. We were sat watching this one yesterday afternoon. Stage 19. It's not often you see the hail who paid to one or two individuals' chances of Tour de France glory. Yeah, it was staggering yesterday, Chris. I was in that unique position of being with a group of guys who didn't really care about the cycling. As I tried to tell them, actually, that it's one of the most fascinating sports that you can watch, all of a sudden, the absolute drama on the screen had all of our group staring at it. It was, it was absolutely brilliant. Just in, in summary, I'm sure we'll get to it later on when we preview what is the penultimate stage today. But in short, a young 20-year-old climber left his rivals for dead on a climb, was making hay, about 30 kilometers to go, one more climb left, and all of a sudden we looked up and everyone had stopped pedaling. And that was because two days after a heat wave in the south of France, there was hail and land signs preventing the guys taking one more climb. So we've moved into the day, the penultimate stage is actually 71 kilometers shorter than it was gonna be. So again, the weather has had an impact. It's a real fascinating day in the tour. Yeah, we sure. will look uh, and we will build up to stage 20. So Matthew Fortune, he's locked in between now and six o'clock and alongside Matthew. It is, given the fact that South Africa have had a pretty good day in the rugby, it was only right that we called up the big man, Carl Van Roosevelt. Carl, good afternoon. Very good afternoon, Christmas Guardian. As you said, something for South African supporters to scream about, should I say. A draw in New Zealand, to me, is as good as a victory. New Zealand 16, South Africa 16, and a new star has been born in South African rugby. A young man that goes with the name of Herschel Giantjes, hails from the Stellenbosch region in South Africa. And oh my word, what a week he's had, scoring three tries for the Springboks in just two test matches. And of course, it's that man that scored the winning try in the 79th minute 
to tie the game up at 16-all at the Westpac Stadium in Wellington. And as I say, a much better look Springbok team. But I tell you what, Chris McCarty, I've not seen an all-black team make as many mistakes as the one that played today. Yeah, let's start right there. 4-0-0-1, get in touch. So many talking points across the week. So many talking points over the course of the past 24 hours. We will try and get to as many as we possibly can. Let's start in Wellington. I woke up this morning, turned on the television, New Zealand against South Africa. I fancied, as you always do, you fancy the All Blacks. South Africa, excellent. I take your point, Carl. New Zealand, not good, but South Africa, what a performance. Yeah, absolutely. I think South Africa had a fantastic first half. To me, the big problem with South Africa was just still not scoring enough points. You know, that first half, they dominated for about 37 minutes of the first half. All of a sudden, we know what the All Blacks can do. Such a dangerous team. Get it out, they get it out wide. Baden Barrett makes the break. Of course, passes inside to Jack Goodard. They score the try, they go into the break, leading 7 6. And then to me, it was always going to be a tough, tough struggle for South Africa because coming out that second half, the All Blacks had a lot more momentum with them. They carried the ball. Often, I thought that South Africa were a little, little bit lucky on defense. And to me, the big problem with South Africa is, and I know I might get a lot of criticism on the show for saying, I still worry about the boys' fitness. Because to me, in the last 20 minutes, they're definitely not as effective as what they were in that first half. But you know what, Chris? Any points you can get in New Zealand, it's always well done. It's so, so tough to beat them on, on their home ground. And as I say, 16-all, fantastic try in there, in there by this youngster, Herschel Giantis. Pollard showed great composure. Of course, he missed the earlier penalty. He showed great composure to kick the conversion. And as you say, 16-all. I think the big thing with these sides at the moment is still testing combinations for, uh, for, for the World Cup. Very interesting to see Baden-Barrett playing yeah. at 15 today for the All Blacks. Is that something that will continue? I don't quite believe he's suited for that position, but time will tell. Yeah, Mark Archer not with us today, of course. Proud Kiwi. He has been talking up Richie Muanga for a long time. The uh, Crusaders fly half. He got the number 10 jersey. As you rightly point out, two-time World Player of the Year, Bowden Barrett, who we always associate in that fly half position. He's moved to fullback, wearing 15 on his jersey today. That combination for you, I mean, you've said it there, you still think Bowden's better at 10? Well, it's not that I think Bowden's better at 10. I think Ben Smith is better at 15, 15. to be perfectly yeah. honest. And I just felt Ben Smith had a, had a very quiet day on the wing today. All Blacks are blessed with such great wingers. And to me, Ben Smith on the wing, I still prefer him at fullback. Mahonga has been having a fantastic season. But I still think at this moment in time, I'd go with Barrett at, at, at 10. He just seems to give you a couple of more, more options in, in that 10 channel. Also, I'd go back to starting with Aaron Smith. To me, uh, uh, TJ Peninara has got... A similar impact to Fafta Clark. I know I've got a lot of criticism on, the, on, on this show because I'm not a big fan of Fafta Clark. I think he's too erratic and, and, and to me, um, TJ is exactly the same type of player where to me, Aaron Smith brings a lot more steadiness to that all-black team. They can flow a lot better. But as you say, what a test match today. And uh, it's just these two teams, of course, in the same group of the World Cup, Chris. So it's going to be very, very interesting come October. Fitness aside from a, a Springbok perspective you've said they're not happy conditioning final 20 minutes you can see the game and the ferocity of it caught up with the Springbok somewhat fitness aside quietly confident of a good World Cup and what you've seen over the course of the past two weekends yeah I, I think you know if you look at the World Cup draw ultimately uh, I, I don't believe we'll beat New Zealand in the group stages if that happens we get Ireland in the quarterfinal which I believe we, we, we could beat them I think the big thing for the box now is just getting those combinations right 12-13 is still a big, big worry for us. Um, I think 
the loose trio. He's not quite settled on, on who he's going to select. I think Francois Lowe once again put up his hand today for that number six jersey. Quaka Smith, maybe not quite the fetch that we need. So it's going to be interesting to see, firstly, if the South African captain, Sia Kulisi, is going to be fit. You know, he, he, he was supposed to play a Curry Cup game this weekend. He's not played a Curry Cup game. He's still injured. And I think, Chris, that will be the big question. If Kulisi is not able to play, they will then once again reshuffle the loose trio. The big question is, who does Rassi settle as his captain? But I think the core of the team is there and the one or two combinations that they still need to finalize. But I think South Africa, 12 months ago to now, they're in a much better position. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. If you are just tuning in, it was a draw in that test match down in Wellington, New Zealand 16, South Africa 16, that late try from Herschel, Yanches, and the conversion as well. Saw them home, and what was an incredible advert for test rugby and for rugby union, no doubt about that. There is a match ongoing down in Brisbane, the second match, second of two matches today in the rugby championship. Carl Van Roosevelt's across it. Yeah, what I can tell you is, surprisingly, Australia is leading that encounter 16 of points to three, a try by Reese Hodge, a conversion by Christian Leofana, and of course two penalties by Leofana, just to the solitary penalty by Nicolas Sanchez. And the Argentinians being a little bit disappointing, of course, they ran the All Blacks very close last week, beating them 20 points to 16, the All Blacks beating Argentina. And I expected a much better showing by the Argentinians today. Of course, Australia had to travel back from South Africa on Sunday, get back to Brisbane, start their preparations for this game. And so far, they've slotted right in, Chris, and uh, definitely been the dominant team. 64 minutes played. We've got about 16 minutes left in this match. Australia 16, Argentina 3. Yeah, we'll keep you bang up to eight with the rugby as we go. So much live sport today as well. Germany is the venue, is the host country for this weekend's Formula One. We all know it's done and dusted. Lewis Hamilton will be champion, of course. Yeah, I think at the moment, you know, Lewis has just absolutely showed his class. And, and to me, a, a guy that I'm very, very excited about is this Charles Leclerc. I think this is one guy that can really start, what, what should I say, giving Lewis that, that competition he needs. A couple of things haven't really gone Leclerc's way. The inexperience, of course, showing in Austria where Max Verstappen asking him or the second last corner of the race. But I think he's a youngster with great potential. Ferrari a lot stronger this season. But Chris, as you mentioned, Hockenheim is the venue for the Grand Prix uh, tomorrow. Uh, it's P3, third practice, of course. Charles Leclerc, he's in pole, led by Max Verstappen from Red Bull. Then Sebastian Vettel in the Ferrari in third. Valeteri Bortis, Mercedes fourth. Um, Kevin Magnussen in Haas in fifth, quite a big surprise. Lewis Hamilton, Adan in sixth. Nicholas Sanchez in McLaren. Gasly in the Red Bull in eighth. And then Kimi Rackin in the Alfa Romeo at nine. And uh, as that session starts, I'll keep you bang up to date with how they finish. Yeah, qualifying, getting underway at about five o'clock over here in the UAE. Now, big breaking news in the world of football. So much to discuss, and I appreciate it. I want to get the boys' thoughts on whether drug cheats. It's a topic that we discussed on Off Script Extra Time earlier this week. Whether drug cheats in sport deserve a second chance. Dillian White as well. We're going to get to him in just a moment, the heavyweight boxer, because he is coming in for absolute dog's abuse in the wake of a failed drugs test uh, this past week. Before all of that, though, big breaking news in the world of football over the course of the past hour. And Arsenal, we've been told all summer long, Matthew Fortune, that Arsenal have £45 million there or thereabouts to spend. They're about to smash their transfer record to the tune of 72 million. Give us the details. You're absolutely right, Chris. This is, uh, as an Arsenal fan, I throw myself back a week when we dismantled quite what was wrong with my football club. Today, I've got a bit of renewed vigour in my feelings about it. You're absolutely right about that budget, that 45 million quid. And what has come out today is that Arsenal have struck a deal with Lille 
in the, in the French top flight to structure a payment over five years for Nicolas Pepe. Now, he's, I have to be honest, not a player I've seen a great deal of in France, but a player that has been watched by a number of clubs. Bayern Munich were keen, Liverpool were keen, your beloved Manchester United also keen. But it seems that Arsenal are the ones that have got that deal over the line. Napoli, another side interested. Yeah. And according to David Ornstein, who any Arsenal fan out, know, out there will know, is essentially the oracle of transfer news when it comes to that club, has revealed that Nicolas Pepe has chosen to come to North London to join Arsenal. A little bit about him, he's a 24-year-old, an Ivorian international. And the one key thing that he will bring to an Arsenal side that has been lacking for such a long time is some direct running and some pace out wide. Arsenal have players through the middle, of course they do. Uh, Aubameyang, Lacazette, very direct in their play, link up together in a two. What they don't have and haven't had for a number of years is pace out wide. Nicolas Pepe is, how to explain, is more, he's very much that Iron Robin type of player. Sadio Mane springs to mind with him as well. He's very direct, straight lines, comes in off that right onto his left foot. I think he's a wonderful addition. I've been looking at Pepe, Nicolas Pepe, for over the course of the past season. I think 23 goals, loves an assist as well, contributes on the other side of the football, works hard, and he's got blistering, blistering pace. He's a wonderful addition. You're absolutely right, because it's, it's that directness that yeah. I think he brings. If you look at a number of clips of his, it's not just about, yes, that, that bursting down the wing, getting the ball into the box. He's very clever with what he does as well. He doesn't just offload the ball. He gives it forward always, and then he gets beyond. That direct approach that will unsettle defenders when you've got pace. There's one thing running at pace with the ball at your feet. There's something even more terrifying about an intelligent footballer running at pace without the ball to link up with his yeah. team teammates and when you've got the likes of Meza Ozil who has struggled I think in that 10 role with not a lot of pace out wide to pick passes to that will be a lovely little matchup I think Ozil at 10 Aubameyang and Pepe on either side with Lacazette through the middle Ozil just just picking those passes and with a solid base with Lucas Torreira with a whole season under his belt with a long summer of rest I think it's quite an exciting time speaking of Meza Ozil I'm sure you boys have seen the footage he was uh, there was an attempted carjacking over in London, not making light of that. Meza Ozil was in his Mercedes G-Wagon. Indeed, yes. It was a Mercedes G-Wagon. A couple of uh, knife-wielding carjackers thought it'd be a good idea to, to try and steal Meza Ozil's car. They just didn't account for the fact that Said Kalasinic <laughs> was in the passenger seat. And Carvan was what you're looking at me. Kalasinic is the left wing back. Burly Bosnian, no, no, I think I can call him that. Known as the tank. Known as the tank, <laughs> and he was having none of it, was he? It's absolutely staggering, and, and first of all, and I'm sorry I'm laughing, I'm certainly not to make light of what must have been a terrifying situation, but seeing footage of a guy, you know, footballers have a lot of criticism yeah. levelled at them for being way too looked after, moddy-coddled. This guy jumps out of a car with two fellas wearing helmets and all in black and wielding knives and just chases them down without a care in the world. Fists clenched, ready to go some. I mean, it is... The bravery of him is absolutely staggering. It's, it's quite mortifying footage. I mean, for any of us to have been in a situation like that, oh. I think I would have been cowed in the back seat or locked myself <laughs> in the boot to get out of it. But to see Kolasinac, and it, it's, it's funny, and I, and I say that point again, is that footballers are often accused of living kind of not this real existence, but that, there's nothing more real than, than having your life flash before your eyes like that and responding in a way. It was, it was quite impressive, I have to say. Yeah, Kolasinac, Carl, he's a, <laughs> your size, your build. He's a big boy inside Kolasinac, having none of it. And the fact is, have a go. He was literally, they were more terrified of him than he was of them. They shouldn't scarpered and all's well that ends well. On Absolutely, that one, right? the, pair, the pair were in training. Arsenal were in touch with them from the minute the news broke. This was on Wednesday evening. The pair of them were in training on Thursday. Absolutely fine. 
laughing and joking on social media on the official club account just getting ready for the new season yeah we're building up to the brand new season there is a pre-season friendly action Manchester City the Premier League champions currently in action we'll get to a score update in just a moment get in touch with us on 4001 we'll keep you bang up to date with all the live sport across the globe today we're looking back on some of the big stories and one of those big stories is England skittling Ireland out yesterday for just 38 more than that in just a second This is The Grill, live from Kicker's Sports Bar, where the game is always on. Yeah, welcome back to the show. Fantastic atmosphere down here at Kicker's Sports Bar. We are located Dubai Sports City. There's good reason for that as well, because the Australia-Argentina match ongoing in the Rugby Championship. We're into the final few moments, final ten. Yeah, final ten minutes, Chris. Nine minutes to be exact. But what I can tell you is Australia are still leading Argentina 16 points to three. Of course, that try by Reese Hodge in the 32nd minute of this game, converted by Christian Leofano. Leofano has kicked three additional penalties to the single penalty by Nicolas Sanchez. A rather disappointing performance by Argentina this afternoon, but it's Australia leading the fixture 16 points to three with nine minutes left to play. Yeah, a little earlier we spoke about it 10 minutes or so ago. It was 16 all between New Zealand and South Africa. Carl's beloved Springboks down in Wellington. We will look back on that in a little bit more detail as we go this afternoon. Not the only live action, pre-season friendlies, building up, of course. Amazing to think, Community Shield yeah. is next Saturday. Sunday? Sunday, third. Next Sunday, amazing. It's back. Can't it's wait. Back. Can't I was actually wait. thinking this morning, much as I'd, I'd love being able to focus some attention on some other sports, I'm, I'm fascinated by this upcoming Premier League season. I think there's so much to look forward to. So many teams in that bracket underneath the top six that we're really expecting big things of, uh, likely at the expense of my beloved Arsenal, but we shall see. So I'm really looking forward to it. And today, the champions are in action, as you say, Chris. They're in Japan, Manchester City, and they've, they've gone out with a strong team. They're, they're playing against the Yokohama Marinos. Just got to half-time there, and it's 2-1. A team of Claudio Bravo, Jinchenko, Laporte, Stones and Walker, De Bruyne, Rodri and Silva, Bernardo Silva, Raheem Sterling and Leroy Sane, and City lead 2-1. Goals from De Bruyne and Sterling. I do wonder if that team that you've just named there will be the team that starts that Community Shield next weekend. Of course, Liverpool are the side that they will be going up against. A clean sweep of domestic trophies for Man City last season. Carl, you excited about the new football season upcoming? Yeah, absolutely. Always excited. But I think it's going to be a two-horse race again. I, I, I honestly just don't see any team getting close to Liverpool and, and City at this moment in time. I think, uh, once again, Spurs will be tested in the sense that the depth of their squad, especially with Champions League football, I think they'll have another good season. But to me, those two are just so ahead. And I don't think the other teams have got enough time. They don't quite have the players. They don't quite have the squads to compete. So once again, I think it's going to be a two-horse race between Liverpool and Manchester City for the title. I'm going to disagree with you there, Carl. Not because I don't think there's any teams close to the other two, but I think it's going to be a one-horse race, and I think it's going to be Liverpool's. And the reason is, I think Manchester City are going to put all their eggs in that European Cup basket in the same way that Liverpool should probably put all their eggs in the Premier League basket because you've got two fan bases there, two ownerships that want to win the thing they didn't win last year. So I think it makes perfect sense. Of course, City will still be closest to, to Liverpool. They've got the strength in depth to rest players every single week ahead of the Champions League games that they will have but I still think Liverpool that sole focus I think that hurt them Liverpool of course European champions brilliant brilliant campaign I think they were hurt by the fact they strung so many incredible results together towards the back end of the season and finished second I think they're going to try and right that wrong Manchester United Arsenal Chelsea Tottenham the other big four you think there will be a that still sizable gap or are they closing the gap this year? I, I, I still think sizable. Firstly, Ole Gunnar, I don't think he's the answer for Man United. 
Uh, Man United don't have a good strike force this season. They're buying a couple of defenders. To me, the midfield's still not up to scratch. And everybody speaks Paul Pogba, Paul Pogba, Paul Pogba. To me, Paul Pogba has not delivered for Manchester United. You look at Chelsea, they can't buy anybody at the moment. Frank Lampard's going to be a huge, huge test for him this season. And to me, that Chelsea team without Hazard, I know it's yeah. not just a one-man show, so I think they will be struggling. At it. And then Arsenal, you just never know what they're going to deliver on the day. But to me, the problem with Arsenal is the consistency. You know, one weekend they can beat the likes of City and Liverpool, and the next weekend they're going to lose to the 20th-ranked team in the Premier League. So unless uh, Una Emery can bring consistency to, to Arsenal, they can maybe challenge. But I still think the gap between those two and the rest, it's too big. Some suggestions today and some reports out of Spain saying that Real Madrid are enthused, that they are of a belief that a deal can be done for Paul Pogba from Manchester United. Zinedine Zidane has made no secret of the fact that he and he alone is the one that he wants to complete his rebuilding overhaul of that Real Madrid squad this summer. Pogba, does he start the season a Manchester United player? Oh, it's a big. I just think the figures involved at this stage and Real Madrid still need to get rid of a lot of players off their books or either free up the wages of course I'm sure we'll come on to Gareth Bale but the fact that uh, the injury to Asensio this yeah. week has made a big big difference to them because now they're looking at perhaps renegading on the deal to send James Rodriguez to Napoli there's a number of players they need to ship out before that comes in and because time is dwindling I believe the transfer window is only what three more weeks uh, for the, the Premier League August 8th exactly. for the rest of the clubs in, in Europe all the way through till the end of the month but Manchester United are no way selling Paul Pogba Absolutely not. unless they've got a man to replace and, him. And is there, any, is there any news that any expectation that United have got a ready-made replacement for Paul Pogba in that position? All that we hear is their big focus on that defensive uh, spine that they need, of course, yeah. Harry Maguire, because Harry Maguire is going to cost, uh, what, six million less than Paul Pogba did, which is another conversation for another time. I think we can talk about the lunacy of those fees. I just don't think it's going to happen. I think it, it seems to be needed to happen. We need only look at how Real Madrid performed overnight uh, against their city rivals in a pre-season friendly, Chris, and uh, you were absolutely gunfounded when you saw that today, that they are 7-3. Yeah, I want to touch on that because uh, I woke up this morning and, and I literally had to rub my eyes a couple of times to see that, and I appreciate pre-season friendlies, we don't read, or at least we're told not to read too much into them. That being said, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, and don't adjust your radio sets when I tell you this, it finished Atletico Madrid 7, Real Madrid 3. Now, context is important to all of this. That was no young Real Madrid side that Zinedine Zidane put out. Thibaut Courtois, Eden Hazard, all his big guns were out in force. It was 5-0 at half-time, for goodness sake. It's absolutely insane. They had Jovic as well. So these are all Zidane's players. We said, I remember, Chris, I was on the grill with you the weekend that Zinedine, Zinedine Zidane went back into Real Madrid, and we said he has played an absolute blinder here because he essentially didn't want that job, did he? He didn't want to come back to it, but he had Perez over a barrel and said, you're going to give me everything that I want. If he does not deliver... That is going to be a big, big shot for them because they are all his players, all his purchases. And to be 5-0 down at half-time, as you say, it doesn't matter if it's pre-season. That is not the right mind frame to be going into a game if you're them chipping five goals before the break. Chris, we speak about the Pogba transfer to, to, to Real Madrid. And to me, it's quite clear Madrid have to free up money. Yeah. Because United are not going to sell Pogba at a loss. Uh, th th they at least want to cover the, the, the amount that they paid for him. And obviously, Pogba's wages are quite expensive. If this deal of Gareth Bale moving to China does go through, does that put, the, put so. the wheel into motion and maybe see Pogba so. on a transfer down to Madrid? Re reading between the lines and all of this and, and speaking to a few people over in the UK, there is no doubt Manchester United are doing their due diligence from a 
just-in-case point of view that if a deal is done for Paul Pogba, he is, of course, and for anyone that's perhaps new to this story, Paul Pogba made it clear to reporters over in Asia he's ready for a new challenge. His agent, Mino Raiola, has also stated on numerous occasions that Paul wants out of that football club. Manchester United, from what my understanding of the situation is, they have put a kind of, I guess, a, a plan in place for that eventuality. Sergei Milinkovic-Savic has been mentioned, the Lazio midfielder, the Serbian international. I know Bruno Fernandes has been mentioned, although some suggestion that that is more sporting Lisbon pushing that agenda as opposed to Manchester United. Sean Longstaff, the young English midfielder at Newcastle United, who's only got a handful of first-team appearances, he has also been mentioned at boardroom level at Manchester United, although Newcastle have said, and speculation is that they would take it would take a fee of upwards of £50 million to entice them to sell so United are doing their due diligence from that perspective from a Real Madrid point of view I can understand why they would want Paul Pogba because Eden Hazard aside there's something lacking at that football club Zinedine Zidane a lot riding on this I know he's got a lot of goodwill and rightly so he won three European Cups for goodness sake but he has spent upwards of 350 million this summer if they don't hit the ground running if they don't have success again this season his legacy is tarnished at that football club and I think Paul Pogba there's no doubt there is a Paul Pogba size void at Real Madrid do they get what they want I've got a sneaky feeling they might if Gareth Bale does leave and Paul Pogba continues to push the, the push it although in fairness to him I can't fault on his performances in pre-season uh, and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has said likewise he's got his head down he's worked hard like the rest of the players if Real Madrid push through and get a deal done for Pogba does that change them? Do they then become a better side for Pogba in it? Yeah, I think so. Just purely from what he's bringing to the team from that base of midfield, because you need to look. Tony Cruz, the, the, the two players in in there in that position, that sort of deeper lying, not quite quarterback role, because Pogba does like to get yeah. a little bit further forward than the two of Cruz and Luka Modric, who another side note to this story is went off injured with a knee injury during this game against Atletico Madrid so he certainly adds and elevates to that team and in the way that he would play learning directly from Zinedine Zidane I think you'll start to see the Pogba that we all anticipated might come to Manchester United I think it's a it's a good match does he have the right mindset if as we appear to think at the moment the Real Madrid mindset as a whole is not ready for a new season I'm not sure he does if he the thing with Pogba is, if everything is working around him, Pogba is brilliant. When the things are starting to fall apart either side of him, he's not necessarily the man that grabs a game by the scruff of the neck and drags it forward. Yeah, Diego Costa with four goals in that match. Atletico Madrid seven, Real Madrid three. The MetLife Stadium over in New York. Diego Costa scored four. Good to see Joe Felix as well, this young kid, 19 years of age from Benfica. What is he now, the fifth most expensive player, fifth or sixth most expensive player? 113 million, I think it was. Incredible sums of money spent for a player who's had a breakthrough season last season at Benfica. He got a goal and two assists. A new look Atletico Madrid as well. Kieran Trippier in. Joe Felix has been brought in, of course, basically a whole new backline as well at Atletico Madrid. May we be uh, keeping a closer eye on them this coming season? Yeah, absolutely. I think I'm always fascinated by the the reshaping of that squad he seemingly does all the time, Diego Simeone. They all play within his mode of uh, his coaching style. They're very aggressive. They're very, very well organized. I always felt, though, that I always felt he was quite wounded by the European Cup final defeats. Yeah. I always felt that he was 
angling. I mean, I have absolutely no direct intel on this. It was just always the opinion that he gave off, that he was sort of searching around for the next right opportunity. But every single season, every single summer, they're very exciting to watch. They bring in good players. They make it very interesting for us. I do think they, might, they need to have another crack at the league title. I think the Champions League is probably beyond them at this stage, especially with a lot of investment in youth. Losing Antoine Griezmann to Barcelona is going to be a big problem. But if they can start well with, with the City rivals actually going very slowly at the start of the season, it could be a good one for them. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on Atletico Madrid. Hector Herrera has been brought in from Porto as well. So there is a real, there's a togetherness about mm. Atletico Madrid. There always is that. Diego Simone, that's, I guess, what he demands. That's the very least that he demands. And as Matt rightly points out, hugely organised. And now with Morata, with Costa, with Felix, Thomas Lamar as well, the French international. There is ingenuity in that side as well. 7-3, my goodness, the bragging rights. I know the season has not kicked off proper yet, but the bragging rights very much on the red and white half of the city. When we come back, we'll continue this conversation. want to get the boys' thoughts on Gareth Bale as well, because reports today suggesting that he's on his way to China and he will be earning upwards of £1 million a week. Lunacy. Stay with us. You're listening to The Grill. Join the conversation. Text 4001 or message us for free on the Dubai i 103.8 app. Yeah, welcome back to the show. It is myself, Chris McCarty, joined this afternoon by the former Deputy Sports Editor for the Mail Online, Matthew Fortune, and just all-round good bloke, Big Safa, is what he is, Carl van Roosevelt. He's in and he's smiling because South Africa, if you are just joining us, blooming good day to be South African. Absolutely, Chris McCarty. As you said, to get a draw in New Zealand, it's like a victory anywhere else in the world. It's not easy beating the All Blacks on home soil. And, the all, and South Africa um, drew this morning with New Zealand. 16 points all. Of course, a fantastic hallelujah try, as I would say, from Herschel Giants. new young sensation from South Africa. South Africa 16, New Zealand 16. The other game in the Rugby Championship this morning, it's just ended now. Australia took on Argentina. Australia winning that fixture, 16 points to 10 and as I said a good result for Michael Checker's team a lot of people fancying Argentina for this game but unfortunately they just didn't quite arrive Australia winning that fixture 16 points to 10 yeah Tour de France penultimate stage today stage 20 of this 2019 edition I know you've been enamoured by it Matthew you have been like a kid at Christmas whenever <laughs> talking about the Tour de France anytime I've bumped into you it's only been the thing you've wanted to talk about and for good reason because it's really been, I know Chris Froome hasn't been a part of it, Mark Cavendish, the sprint sensation as well, not selected by Team Dimension Data before uh, this race, uh, and hugely disappointed at that. I know he's had his injury problems, he has illness problems, has Mark. No Chris Froome, of course, a four-time winner. That all being said, the race itself has been a fascinating one. Oh, it's been absolutely brilliant, Chris, genuinely. It's one of these, these events, and as I said uh, at the top of the show, I was trying to explain to people why I find it so fascinating, and I've said it before on the grill, that this was, a, this was an event designed by a bloke who didn't just want a winner, he wanted one survivor. And that's what it is. And this year's tour has been, not only has it been one of the hardest on record, the guys have been cycling 3,600 kilometers through the Pyrenees, through the Alps, along the bumpy cobbles of northwest France. It's been absolutely fascinating. I think what's kept a lot of people interested, especially at home, and therefore making it more of a spectacle among the locals, is that we've had a Frenchman in the yellow jersey for 14 days. Julian Alaphilippe not mentioned by anybody in their previews before this race started certainly a respected rider that's no, make no mistake but not part of a good team and, and of course to, to people that don't understand this is very much a team sport it's not just about the guy that can cycle from a to b the quickest it's about how those work around you do you have a climber do you have a good domestique do you have a good race 
brain behind you in the car. Alaphilippe didn't have that, but on stage six, he broke away with fellow Frenchman Thibaut Pinot, and we'll come to him. He had a, a heartbreaking day yesterday. He broke away, took the yellow jersey. France have not had a winner of this race since 1985, since before I was even born. So this is a new experience for me to understand quite how close they got. As it was, Alaphilippe kept, I think maybe from about five or six stages ago, everyone said, oh, this will be the one he goes. It came to the time trial. Everyone said Geraint Thomas, last year's winner, Team Ineos, formerly Team Sky. That would be the time that he takes the yellow jersey. Alaphilippe put more seconds on Geraint Thomas, so that then added another dimension to it. Every single day has thrown up something fascinating. We touched on it earlier, to, uh, earlier in the show that yesterday's stage was shaping up to be brilliant. It was a fascinating, fascinating start. Egan Bernal, also of Team Ineos, a young Colombian rider. He's about 25 minutes ahead in the young riders category, known as the white jersey. He, with about with one, uh, two more climbs to go, broke away from him, his rivals in a, in a way that people haven't seen since Chris Froome burst onto the stage up Mount Ventoux, I think maybe six years ago. Anybody that's interested in cycling will know what happened then. As it was, Burnell burst up the top, reached the penultimate climb around about 35 seconds ahead of the yellow jersey. So flipping what was a 90 second deficit into a 30 second lead. And everyone was thinking, right, what's going to happen? There was still one more climb to go. Alaphilippe breached the climb and was, I mean, it was staggering. These guys hit about 60, 70 kilometers an hour downhill Crazy. on thin roads in the Alps. It's terrifying to watch. And what Alaphilippe does, I, I've, I ride bikes quite often, but I've never quite mastered the art of getting so low that you take your butt off the saddle and you're sitting on the frame of the bike to make yourself more aerodynamic. And Alaphilippe's doing this at 70 kilometers an hour. And then everybody stopped. What had happened was, and we said it earlier, uh, hailstorms and landslides at the foot of the Alps meant that that stage was cut about 28 kilometers from the end. It means that we go into today with Egan Manal with a 48 second lead. I don't think that's going to change. So I think what we're going to have, we're going to have heartbreak for the French, having hold the jersey, he held oh. the yellow jersey for 14 days. There is two stages still to go, today and tomorrow, but tomorrow's doesn't really count. It's a, it's, a, it's a sprinter stage. Yeah. There's, a, there's a gentleman's agreement, as it were, that if you're in the yellow jersey at the end of the penultimate stage, it's yours. You cycle home, you're, you're, you're given the cheers of everybody around, and the sprinters just do their thing on the Champs-Élysées. I don't think we're going to change. I think it's going to be heartbreak for the French. We're going to get a 21-year-old Colombian climber certainly had an advantage being born at about a million feet of altitude so therefore has lungs better than the rest of us but take nothing away from him this is a kid that anyone is interested in endurance sports or cycling will be talking about for years to come it was absolutely brilliant yesterday one last thing as you can tell I do get excited about you the do. tour a special shout out to Thibaut Pino this is one of those things that will played for years in those highlight reels. Thibaut Pinot, the other Frenchman that actually people thought was going to be the more likely winner, both at the start and midway through the tour, he started dropping off the back of the peloton after about an hour of the race. And all of a sudden, he started to cry. And you could see that an injury was going to bring an end to his tour. Imagine that. You've put in yeah. 3,000 kilometers of work. You've got the whole country behind you. The scenes as he was loaded into his car with one of his teammates having dropped off, arm around the shoulder. I mean, bawling his eyes out. And that is by no mean mocking him at all, because I would be absolutely heartbroken. He got in the car. His team were fighting photographers off, because it was a real personal moment to come that far and to have your tour ended really two days before the end. It was heartbreaking. Yeah, what a, what a tour it has been. As I say, devoid of probably the biggest 
name in cycling, Chris Froome, but that has not taken away from what has been a wonderful three weeks. Tour de France fan, Carl Van Roosevelt, you, you tune in much? Yeah, absolutely. I, I haven't, I've been travelling for the last three weeks, so I haven't really been much in front of the TV. But yeah, Chris, I, I think, you know, to me, if you look at it from a sporting event, I think it must be one of the most taxing sporting events in yeah. the world. I, I don't think there's anything else that can come come close to it when it comes from a purely athletic ability as you say three and what three and a half thousand kilometers and the terrain that these guys are cycling on as, as you say absolutely fantastic incredible what an advert it has been what a spectacle it has been and you have literally tuned in i think most days we probably should whisper that because the bosses are listening <laughs> anyway. that probably explains why i'm still waiting for that that email yeah. a couple of weeks back that i asked for matthew but it has been bonkers it's been brilliant to watch and what are we thinking then today penultimate the final chance for these boys the Garang thomases of course who is the defending champion their last chance to attack yeah you're absolutely right it, it, it's tricky that's this is the problem this is why it's such a fascinating team sport as well because very rarely do you have two riders in the same team who you have a lead member essentially in each team but looking at team Ineos formerly team Sky so who have won six of the last seven either through Wiggins or Froome or Grant Thomas last year Thomas and Bernal, Dave Brailsford, the, the head honcho of that team, refused to say who was their number one rider, and they think they just wanted to let it play out. Thomas had a tricky pre um, warm-up to the race, had a bad crash in Switzerland. Yeah. Bernal is new, it's his first time on the tour, so no one was really willing to say, because it is so gruelling, it's not one of those things where you expect the youngsters, that's why they have their own jersey to chase, because it requires experience, it requires strength of mind, it's not just about your cycling ability. As it was, yesterday was all about the cycling ability of Bernal, and I think what's going to happen today, that 48 seconds that he has over Philippe, and then Thomas a further 28 seconds back will be extended, and I think we're looking at a Colombian champion. Oh, Colombia will be celebrating long into the night if that does indeed prove to be the case. So the penultimate stage, stage 20, gets underway what time today? Uh, just about to start, I believe, Chris. Four o'clock. Okay, we'll keep you bang up to date with the early uh, early kind of story in that one. We are, of course, on air all the way through until six o'clock. So we're expecting today, it's been cut short by 31 kilometres. Is that due to the landslides, etc.? 71 kilometres. Indeed, oh, it's wow. damage on the roads and they're expecting some slightly more inclement weather. So they've lost two of the big climbs, wow. which actually stands the rivals to Bernal in better stead really because Bernal's strength he's a very small guy with big old powerful legs to get him up mountain so he's not hucking to hunk a whole load of weight <laughs> up that mountain which is why it's so good for him but having lost two of those climbs he still has one it finishes at Val Turen. anybody who's skied in Europe Val Turen, I mean it's high up there the air is very very thin so that's a big old climb that's the only one they have to do today we'll keep you bang up to date with the Tour de France 2019 that final stage of course stage 20 of this incredible race we'll keep you bang up to date with it as for the F1 Hockenheim is the destination for the German Grand Prix round 11 today Hungary next week and then they're done they go off on their summer holidays correct that is correct Chris McCarty of course and as you say at this moment in time it looks like Lewis Hamilton well maybe Freddy could just give him the trophy now because yeah. he's really really been absolutely dominant but uh, not at all going his own way in Hockenheim what I can tell you is in third practice it was Charles Leclerc from Ferrari that was the quickest he was followed there by Max Verstappen of Red Bull and then Sebastian Vettel in the other Ferrari in third position Vitaly Bertas in fourth Kevin Magnussen in fifth and Lewis Hamilton the man that we just spoke about down in sixth place final, pra final practice 
uh, will be starting off very soon and I'll update you as those results come in. Yeah, stay with us. I want to talk about Gareth Bale as well. Drug cheats in sport. Do they deserve a second chance? I want to discuss that because it has been quite an eventful World Swimming Championships over in South Korea. One or two stories coming out of there that I want to get the boys' thoughts on as well. If you've got anything that you want to say, share with it. Your thoughts, join the conversation, 4001. Stick with us. You're listening to The Grill, bringing you the biggest sports stories right now. On Dubai I 103.8. Yeah, welcome back to the show. It is myself, Chris McCarty, Matthew Fortune, Carl Van Roosevelt. We are on your airwaves. It is the time of the week that we just settle back. We take stock of the week that was in the world of sport. We're keeping you back up to date with the live sport as well. We are located down here at Dubai Sports City. Kicker Sports Bar is the venue. Happy hour ongoing drinks for as little as 19 dirham. So if you are at a loose end this afternoon wondering what to do, then pop on down. The live sport is about to start. We've got the Tour de France in about eight minutes' time. You've got qualifying for the German Grand Prix at just after five o'clock. And there is a litany of pre-season football friendlies across the 15 or so screens down here as well so as I say at a loose end pop on down Kickers Sports Bar I want to get the boys thoughts on a couple of the other big stories of the week one thing I do want to just quickly touch on boys Shane Lowry winner of the 148th Open Championship winner of the Abu Dhabi HSBC Championship in January Carl coming all the way through to succeed at Royal Portrush great story for Shane great story for Ireland Oh, absolutely. I, I don't think you could have scripted it better. I mean, for an Irish player to win, the, 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 the Open has now gone back to Ireland. And, you know, hats off to Shane Lowry. That uh, third round of his, where he shot that 63, Chris, he, 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 just, he just went ahead of the field and, 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 and really, really stamped his authority on that tournament. And the way he played that final day, I mean, the conditions were absolutely horrific. And yeah. Shane just, you know, stood the test of time. Of course, he's, he's grown up in those conditions. And, you know, you've got to take your hats off to him. I think a worthy winner. Uh, I think fantastic for the country and as you say, being being Irish too, but to me the way Shane conducted himself through that whole tournament, he was so, so consistent, fired that 63, of course he nearly equaled the lowest round ever with a, with a 62, he came very, very close, and then the way, I mean the final day he played, what was it, one over par, I think or something like that, and uh, absolutely fantastic, so well done to Shane Lowry, um, I see he's withdrawn for this week's WGC, obvious reasons I'm sure, but I mean, his homecoming that they showed, I've just been watching social media, I mean there's a couple of thousand people 15, out 15 I think welcoming him back back it so it just shows you what it means for the country what it means for 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 Ireland and also of course the big news for the Irish fans is Rory McIlroy of course before the tournament started unfortunately he couldn't make it through to the to, uh, he didn't make the cut to make it through to the weekend so a great story well done Shane Lowry open champion Incredible. It really is. What a year it's been for 32-year-old Shane Lowry, a regular visitor to this part of the world as well. Successful in the Abu Dhabi HSBC Championship at the start of the year. And as you rightly point out, Carl, he did take a wide berth for this WGC Bridgestone Invitational uh, this weekend. He essentially said that he just wanted to party with his mates and good on him for that. Speaking of the WGC Bridgestone Invitational, it is an Englishman that leads the way. Matthew Fitzpatrick, another man who's tasted success over in this part of the world, winner of the DP World Tour Championship a couple years or so ago. He's had a wonderful two rounds. Yeah, absolutely, Chris. As you say, he started off his first round with a 63, then backed it up with a 64. He's currently leading at nine under par, is the Englishman. He's followed by Patrick Cantley of the United States at seven under par. Then Cameron Smith, a very exciting Australian, this, and I think we're still going to see a lot of this young man in the future. Your man crush, John Ram, at seven under par. He's tied in second with 
Billy Horshaw as well as Alex Norwood in seventh position at five under par. So a very close-knit leaderboard, but as you say, it's the youngsters that are leading in St. Jude. Yeah, Ian Poulter, five under. Justin Rose also at five under. Brooks Kepka five under. Bubba Watson, five under. Then comes Henrik Stenson, Rory McIlroy. They are both at four under par. Just a quick word on Ian Poulter as well, because he's making headlines for... I want to say all the right reasons, but I want to get you boys' thoughts on this one. A, a fan, I think it was on his final hole, who shouted as he swung, hit the ball. Someone said, get in the bunker. Ian Poulter took umbrage to that, got the fan ejected from the golf course. Right? Is he in? Absolutely. I, I, I just think no need for this negativity. It's like when a, when a, a footballer is taking a penalty or a rugby player is kicking to post. Why all the boos? You, you know, at the end of the day, they're, they're doing their job, and I think it's totally unnecessary. And I and I back Ian Poulter fully on this. You know, at the end of the day, if you want the ball to go into the bunker, why are you following the golfer in the first place? You know, follow somebody. That, follow somebody that you support. So yeah, I, I think he did. I think he did the right thing. I don't think it's it, it's necessary. It puts a negative spin on the on the tournament as a, as a whole. So uh, yeah, I think he did the right thing. Yeah, Carl's right. Golf isn't one of those sort of things where you you know your colour to the mast of a particular player. You're not there. I mean, you you, you want your favourites to win, of course, but it's not that fan culture that surrounds team sports. Of course, you're there because you want to watch pure, brilliant golf. And if you're watching Ian Poulter, one of the legends of the game surely what you want from him is to play the best golf that you possibly can and I think the fact that he acted in a actually a much more responsible than way than I think uh, a lot of other people in all other walks of sport would have behaved maybe being a bit more aggressive directly to that person but actually ha doing the right thing by taking a step back and getting that person ejected I think it was bang on from Potter. It was the 18th fairway and as he struck the shot this fan yelled get in the bunker Poulter then turned around and said really you, de you deserve to be here, do you? And the guy was like, oh, okay. Uh -oh. And then he asked the security to chuck him out. But you know, what the, you know what the funny thing is? That these people, when they get called out, they, 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 they kind of they okay. want to hide. <laughs> because this year at, uh, at, the, at the Desert Classic, I was following Monty, Ernie Els, and I can't remember who the other player was in the, in, in the three ball. And a, a fan standing alongside me, because obviously here in Dubai, it's fantastic to get very close to the players. He, he had something not so nice to say about Monty. And Monty turned around and said, Really? Is, is, is this what, it, what, what it's about? And all of a sudden, this guy pretended that it wasn't him that, that actually yeah. yelled the comment. And I'm like, if you can't stand up and take it, why? You know, firstly, you shouldn't be yeah. saying anything, anything like it. And, and secondly, if you do get caught out, at least, you know, be, be mad about it. Ian Poulter afterwards as well, he said, it is disappointing, to be honest. I get it. I'm an Englishman. I play on the Ryder Cup team. I'm sure I've upset a few of the guys from time to time when they're watching TV. But when we're playing a world-class event like we do week in, week out, and you've got guys like that in a small group and want to feel big in front of their friends and they scream silly, silly things out, it is disappointing. I hate to do that, he said, in terms of getting that individual kicked out, but we shouldn't be getting abused in this day and age. Unfortunately, it happens quite often. Most of the time, we just ignore it and let it go. But on this occasion, I felt that it was the right thing to do. So, well, fair play, Ian. Yeah, absolutely. What a brilliant response. There's nothing more debilitating to someone trying to look big in front of their yeah. friends than someone <laughs> pointing out that you're showing off in front of your pals. It's the classic mum put down when you're being a little bit troublesome. Stop showing off in front of your friends. It makes you wither and die inside. Oh. So well played, Polter. I'm very impressed. Oh, goodness <laughs> gracious me. You're not wrong there as well. In this day and age, it's 2019, for goodness sake. Get in the bunker. Each to their own, each to their own of course, but I think Ian Poulter deserves an awful lot of credit for the way that he, uh, well, the way that he dealt 
with that one fan. Keep your thoughts coming in on 4001. I want to talk Gareth Bale. I do want to have this little conversation about drug cheats and whether they deserve a second chance. We're often, we do talk about second chances, of course. Life, we all make mistakes, we're human. But in the world of sports, should, should second chances be given? We'll discuss that in the second hour. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.